Hi, everyone. Today, me and Hellevorn are going to be talking about another one of Henrik Ibsen's plays. This one is going to be Ghosts, and we're going to be exploring the themes, the characters, and how it ties into her upcoming tapas novel, Equilibrium Point, which features the modern versions of Ingvar and Eyjolf, Ivar and Ulf. Yes, that's right. That's right. And I'm, I'm uh, really eager to get into it because this is one of my favorite of Ibsen's plays. Mm -hmm, right. So our first question is, this play, when published in 1881, was seen as shocking. It was highly criticized both in Norway and abroad. The book sold poorly and Ibsen was attacked by critics and readers and censored. In England, the Daily Telegraph reviewed it as, quote, positively ab abdominal, an open drain, a loathsome sore unbandaged, a dirty act done publicly, gross, almost putrid indecorum, literary carrion, crapulous stuff. What was so scandalous about it? Because of its subject matter, um, it includes a critical look on religion, themes of venereal disease, and particularly syphilis, uh, incest and euthanasia. So uh, nowadays we see Ibsen is classy, but once upon a time he was a real bad boy and he was ready to get his hands dirty and challenge the narrow conventionalism of the society he lived in. So he mm -hmm. endured a lot of censorship because of how he touched upon uh, such sensitive issues. And uh, uh, to the point that the leading theaters in Scandinavia and in most of Europe declined having anything to do with his play. So it was only independent companies that dared to take on uh, ghosts. And in Norway, he was shunned by all public figures, uh, except for the writer Björnstjerne Björnsson, uh, who is also a realist writer. And in England, among the few people who didn't criticize him were... Um, Great minds like uh, George Bernard Shaw, Thomas Hardy, Henry James. So they uh, they stood with him and they advocated that uh, these are things that needed to be said, uh, a critical eye upon society. But, uh, you know, Ibsen went on a, a sort of self-exile and he lived for many years in southern Europe, Italy in particular. And, um, uh, well, he had already done that before uh, publishing Ghosts and meeting with a strong criticism. He had done that for a while because of the, um, how conventional Scandinavian society was. And we'll see why this is important in the play. Mm -hmm. Right. So what is the plot of the play? Uh, Mrs. Alving is a widow who has built an orphanage in the memory of her late husband, an influential man. Her son, Oswald, has returned from Italy because he is sick, and the two of them reconnect after a long separation. Mrs. Alving intentionally kept her son away from home because his father, although he was a respected man in a community, was in fact a philanderer, an alcoholic, and overall emotionally abusive. Not only would he, uh, I mean, did he cheat on her repeatedly, but he coerced their mate into a sexual relationship, which resulted in a daughter, Regina, which is also uh, a character in the play. Mrs. Alving took the girl into her house, um, 
uh, raising her almost like a daughter. But when Oswald reveals that he's in love with Regina, uh, she must confess to them that they are in fact half siblings. They have the same father. So Oswald reveals at this point that he has syphilis, even though he had never led a promiscuous life, which causes Mrs. Alving to conclude that it is congenital syphilis inherited from his father. And in the end of the play, Oswald suffers a general paresis, which is characteristic of late stage untreated syphilis, and he falls into a catatonic state. And uh, the play ends with Mrs. Alving uh, having to decide whether she wants to euthanize her son um, as per his request before he fell into the state, or uh, you know, let him live like this and, mm. and die eventually. So it is a very, very dark play. It, it is perhaps uh, Ibsen's darkest. Mm -hmm, it is. It seems it, it covers so many themes and I can see why people were so shocked. And, you know, this is also a very tragic story where there's almost no positive events. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. and Ibsen has a lot of very dark plays, but uh, this is really dark on a lot of levels. I think that there are more tragic and more emotional ones than this with uh, uh, children in, uh, you know, really difficult situations. Uh, but um, this one has all of these um, uh, social implications and moral as well. And it's very gothic. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I can see a lot of similarities with some of your works, you know, especially, you know, um, which part was I thinking of? But there is a really big similarity with, um, I think, Ulf too, you know? Um, no, it's not, not Ulf, um, Eolf. You know, no mm -hmm. spoilers, but there's a part of Lucky Wolf that deals with one of the topics that we touched upon, especially the end of Lucky Wolf. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it is. And I think that I learned from uh, Ibsen and a lot of uh, pioneering writers like him to uh, not to shy away from really controversial topics. And this is something that I've done repeatedly in my uh, in my stories. Mm -hmm, exactly. And number three is what is Mrs. Alving like as the main character of this play? Oh, she's a very stoic and resilient woman. She reads books that are seen as progressive and nihilistic and overall scandalous because they challenge social conventions. Another important character in the play who visits her in the beginning is Pastor Manders, who criticizes her for the books she reads and for her attitudes and ideas and also for sending her son away. Um, Ibsen was accused that Mrs. Alving's and Oswald's outrageous opinions on society were a reflection of his own. But Ibsen said that actually these views were merely typical of the moral chaos produced by the reaction to uh, the narrow conventionalism represented by Pastor, uh, Pastor uh, Manders. So uh, he sees uh, these two as uh, extremes. Um, what is interesting is that uh, this uh, very stoic, resilient woman, Mrs. Alving, wasn't always like this. When she was young uh, and uh, she, she truly suffered and was emotionally affected by uh, the situation with her husband uh, and she was very hurt by his uh, behavior. So uh, in uh, despair, she went to Pastor uh, Manders for comfort and it is suggested uh, this was because she had feelings for him and she wanted a relationship with him instead. But the pastor tells her that 
It isn't a wife's place to judge her husband, but it is her duty to stay with him no matter what and help him become better. And so from this moment on, Mrs. Alving stays with her husband without complaining. So uh, the result is that everybody thinks that the husband has reformed. Uh, in fact, he really hasn't. On the contrary, his behavior goes on and on with um, the, well, not really the help, but his wife was always covering for him. And um, um, everybody thought that he was such a, a great and compassionate man who was building orphanages and donating to a lot of charities. But in fact, it was his wife doing mm -hmm. uh, all of this while he was just uh, um, spending time with uh, women and alcohol. And uh, the pastor takes pride in rejecting her at that point because he sees it as a proof of his moral strength. And he boasts about uh, uh, making their life better. You know, I, I sent you back to her husband and I told you to help him. And look, you helped him and he became such a great man. Mm -hmm, right. So there's a lot of pretense going on on both sides and a, a lot of misinterpretations of what is really good and you know kind of projecting this false image that society thinks is real but in reality it's the opposite exactly so there is this uh, huge uh, discrepancy between appearance and essence and what was seen as good advice um at the time and you know the advice that the pastor gives mrs alving is uh, something that uh, i i even heard myself nowadays a lot of the times from people around me, you know, so something that was a good advice, or at least it was seen to be good is, uh, in fact, leads to uh, a lot of terrible things. And when the pastor learns that she has been, in fact, hiding her husband's uh, immoral life, he again blames her because he says, how could you do that? How could you lie so much? How, how could you let him do all those things? But, you know, mm -hmm. she was she, she was in a place where uh, she, she didn't know what else to do. So she went from one extreme to the other. But what she could do was to send her son away because she didn't want him to have all that terrible influence from his father. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That was the only thing she could do. And, you know, that created a lot of problems, such as, you know, the incest issue. Yes, exactly. And she was uh, criticized by everyone for sending her son away. Uh, including by her son, who thought, you know, I'm I'm not wanted at home, and this is why my parents sent me away. So she is a very misunderstood character by people around her. Mm -hmm. So what's her relationship with her son Oswald like in general? She loves him very much, and all she wanted was to protect him from her husband's abuse and bad influence. So uh, she's really happy when he returns, and they finally get to spend time together, or this is what she thinks. Um, Oswald thinks she is cold for having sent him away. However, he appreciates the freedom that he was allowed to enjoy, because uh, in Southern Europe, he could practice his passion for art and he uh, could connect with other artists and he is able to develop his own set of values free of the dry conventions of northern europe so he becomes uh, a very uh, open-minded man with uh, um, who, who is very open towards uh, knowledge and uh, different attitudes and a, a free thinker 
So, um, well, contrary to what people such as uh, Pastor Mandersh believe of him, he is an innocent young man. He is rebellious against conventions, but he is also very idealistic. For example, he speaks at one point against um, uh, marriages of convenience because uh, he praises uh, poor young people who live together unmarried because they cannot afford to get married, but they are joined together by love and mutual respect. But this is seen as something really outrageous by the pastor who only see says that it is immoral that two people... Uh, live together but aren't married so he, he completely disregards the other aspects uh, but at the same time um, Oswald is uh, very innocent because he believes that his father was a good man um, even though he has memories of Mr. Alving forcing cigarettes and other habits of his on him when he was just five or six but because he was uh, uh, told by his mother that um, his father is a good man and uh, he knows all the uh, charities and everything he's done he actually believes that his father was a great person so uh, yeah he he is quite naive in certain respects so when he finds out the truth he's extremely disillusioned Right, and he has the worst ending of, I think, all of the characters since he goes into a coma. Yes, indeed. So um, um, he has this, um, uh, well, he knows that he has been uh, sick for a long time with uh, headaches and dizziness and uh, moments of uh, disorientation. And he has all these manifestations. So he, he goes to a doctor in uh, France, and uh, he is told that, um, well, first of all, the doctor asks him uh, if he was, um, uh, you know, promiscuous, and when he learns that he wasn't promiscuous, he thinks that he might be mistaken, but he has all the symptoms of syphilis. So, you know, he, he, he sort of disregards what the doctor says because he knows he hasn't been promiscuous. But uh, when he comes back to Norway and he learns the truth about his father, he figures it out. And the doctor says to him that sometimes um, the sins of the father uh, reflect upon the children. He doesn't really understand it at the time. Of course, the doctor is suggesting that, you know, there is a thing called congenital syphilis. But uh, Oswald doesn't understand it at the time because he's really naive and he only understands it when he gets back to Norway and learns the truth about his father. Mm -hmm, right. So what role does Pastor Manders play? Does he symbolize the rigid conventionality of the society at the time? Yeah, definitely. So he is the character who is more of a symbol than a person because he represents the uh, self-righteous and ultimately unjust uh, conservatism of society. So, um, well, Ibsen was accused with this character that he was painting the clergy in a very negative light. But um, there were people that like that and still are. So, um, and before Ibsen, this was a sensitive matter that was swept under the rug. The fact that uh, society sometimes uh, helps cover up all these um, really terrible deeds because uh, uh, it is afraid of talking about them openly. So, yes, Pastor Manders does represent this. Mm -hmm, right. And the title, translated in English as ghosts, actually means the ones who return. What does it actually refer to? 
That's true. So, well, yengangere means again walkers, so those who, who walk again. So, um, well, the central thesis of ghosts is that people are haunted by their past. Uh, beliefs and attitudes we hear around us and the environment that we grow up in, uh, our upbringing itself, uh, what we learn from our parents, from their behavior and relationship, leave their mark upon us forever. So nature and nurture, uh, meaning personality and environmental factors, shape us inescapably. Uh, which is really interesting because the importance of genetics has been better understood in recent decades. So in Ibsen's time, it was quite a pioneering thesis. And um, through this, he makes a, a deeply psychological play, as are a lot of his plays. Um, and he, he describes all these things in great detail. Even his descriptions of syphilis is uh, very... Um, interesting and accurate in many ways because uh, we have to keep in mind that this was a time when uh, um, doctors didn't know what caused syphilis. They didn't know it was a bacterium that was only discovered in uh, 1905. So this was like 30, 25 years earlier. And uh, in, in this time, syphilis which was treated with mercury and arsenic. So we can uh, see that Ibsen was quite pioneering in uh, discussing all these things, this uh, these medical and psychological things and putting them into uh, characters. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Finally, Ibsen's Ghosts appears in your novel, Equilibrium Point. Ivar and Ulf watched the play at the theater on their first date. How do the themes of the play tie in with those of Equilibrium Point? Um, right, so apart from also taking place in Norway, um, Equilibrium Point uh, highlights psychology and this idea that uh, our attitudes and beliefs are so rooted in our experiences that it is difficult to pinpoint why we have them, especially in those situations where uh, we have uh, harmful behaviors and we're trying to change them. But uh, as much as we try, they are really deeply rooted. So we have to figure out the cause before we try to change them. So uh, this is one common theme with uh, Ibsen's ghosts. And both Ivar and Ulf are marked by their upbringing and have developed behaviors that act as obstacles in the way of them forming healthy relationships. Um, well, this is a simplification, but just to give an example. So Ulf was abandoned by his negligent mother, so he constantly seeks the attention of other people. And he jumps into all sorts of more or less meaningful relationships because he dreads being alone. Ivar, on the other hand, was pressured into being perfect and taught to hide emotion. And uh, now he finds it difficult to express his feelings. Um, when he struggles with a form of depression, he justifies it as a sign of his intellectual superiority. Uh, you know, only ignorant people seek happiness, he says, uh, and he thinks that he's constantly numb because he's the only one who actually thinks, and um, he realizes that there is no point in getting excited about, every, about anything because, you know, life is ephemeral, everything is futile, so he thinks, you know, I'm, I'm such an intellectual and if everyone was as smart as me they would all be like this but maybe it's <laughs> depression 
<laughs> I know. Yes. I think he justifies a lot of his behavior. And do you think it's also because of pride that he claims to be an intellectual? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And uh, this also uh, brings us back to his upbringing when he was, um, you know, pushed to uh, to be perfect. And um, he was, um, well, he, he has uh, some issues with um, his mother suffering from uh, mental illness. So he taught to, um, so he, he learned to uh, turn upon himself and keep to himself all the time and not speak about himself and just, you know, he was just reading and being alone all the time. So I guess, uh, again, his upbringing uh, and a lot of factors in his uh, early life contributed to this. And also, um, he's a lot like his mother, minus the the bipolar disorder that she has, but he is a lot like his mother, which again brings uh, us back to the genetics idea that is common with Ibsen's ghosts. Mm hmm. So when they watch um, the play together, I think they have a discussion about what barriers are holding them back from their relationship, right? That's true. So they have a conversation about death and uh, uh, how they both perceive death. And, uh, you know, from some points of view, they perceive life and death in very different ways because Ivar doesn't really care if he lives or dies because he uh, he thinks that life is overrated. But then Ulf uh, on the, is, is, is at the opposite extreme. He really loves everything and is uh, everything in life and loves interacting with people and is looking forward to a lot of events in his life and he he wouldn't really um imagine what it would feel like to be dying for instance you know so um but also they uh uh, they agree on one thing when they discuss euthanasia. And uh, this is one other um, theme that appears, that this is what they discuss at that point because of um, uh, ghosts and because it appears there. So, um, well, this opens a conversation that will appear again at some point in Equilibrium. Mm -hmm, right, because actually this topic of um, euthanasia plays a large role in Ulf's story in particular. That's true. That's true. So it will come up again. So, um, yeah, this is uh, this conversation is triggered by Ibsen's ghosts. And um, they don't realize at the time uh, how uh, true the, the thesis of Ibsen's play actually is in their lives. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Ulf is going to forget it right away because he's not very interested in literature and he feels that uh, fiction is really uninteresting. Like, you know, why get immersed into fiction when you can go out and live your actual life, you know? So mm -hmm. this is what Ulf thinks. But I think that Ivar will think about it time and time again Again, as he comes to realize um, a lot of things in his life and trying to, to trace back certain behaviors of his uh, to his uh, upbringing and experiences. So Ivar is definitely more of a literature fan. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Ulf mm -hmm. doesn't have time for it. <laughs> he is very, very uh, busy with uh, socializing and with work and all that. Mm-hmm.
<laughs> right. So yes, this was an amazing review. And just to end it, would you say that you liked Ghosts more or, you know, The Lady from the Sea, which we reviewed last week? Ah, uh, definitely Ghosts. Yeah. Go but my favorite story is Hedda Goblet, and this is what we're going to discuss next week. So I think that is uh Ibsen's best work, even though he has a lot of them, but I think that's my favorite one. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna talk more about Rheinweg and how she was inspired by Hedda Gabler. Yes, exactly. I cannot wait to talk about it. Uh, I'll be really excited. And also, we are going to see similarities between Hedda Gabler and Ingvar or Ivar uh, himself, which is, you know, maybe not, not what we <laughs> expected because Ivar and Ranvai or Ingvar and Ranvai uh, don't have a lot of things in common. But uh, they have things in common with Hedda Gabler. <laughs> so that one was definitely um, the play by Ibsen which influenced me the most. Mm -hmm. I, I found it really brilliant. Of course, this one is brilliant too. And like I said, um, I really love the uh, heavy psychological themes and the themes of mental illness. And this is uh, these are things that I have... Um, um, topics that I've wrote in my uh, writings as well, and also uh, really controversial themes, as we see in Lucky Wolf <laughs> as well. The characters doing stuff that's really controversial, and I think I got that from Ibsen. <laughs> so, yeah, this is one way in which ghosts uh, influenced me. Right. Thank you so much. It was awesome to learn more about Ibsen's work. And I can't wait to dive into Hedda Gabler next week. Thank you so much. Me too. Right. Bye. Goodbye.